Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Shalom, Malachi, Shalom, Malachi. 
J.M. in the A.M. Leif Tahar, beautiful Anim Zmiros. Before that, Ben Sion Schenker's Proke, an amazing classic off Mudgets Live. You heard Kafal Kaf, brand new from Lipa. Mim Komcha from the cast of L'Chaim Tish, Volume 3. You heard Shalom Aleichem off of the Rudza, the Shabbos CD. And Regesh, Modani opening things up. As we say, good morning. It's Friday on this January the 10th, day 9. In the month of Shvat, the year 5774, Tav Erev Shabbos Parshas B'Shalach, Erev Shabbos Shira, with candle lighting time at 428 on this Erev Shabbos. 428, your official candle lighting time, as we get set for Shabbos. want to remind everybody that right after JM and the AM this morning, Naomi Nachman is going to be live at Gourmet Glot in Cedarhurst, doing a live presentation of Table for Two, her weekly show. It'll be on from 9 o'clock, supersized, all the way until 10.30 this morning, Eastern Time. Not only can you hear it on our stream at jmnam.org, you can see it if you go to nachomsegel.com. It'll be the video right there on the homepage. You can actually see it live as it's happening from Gourmet Glot. Naomi Nachman, the Aussie Gourmet, is going to be live from Cedarhurst. This was the show that was supposed to be done last Friday, and you may recall last Friday we were in a blizzard. Reminder, this coming week is Tu Bishvat. Can you imagine the words blizzard and Tu Bishvat in the same sentence? This coming week is Tu Bishvat. On Thursday, Mayor Weingarten will join me, and we will celebrate. We will celebrate Tu Bishvat, celebrate Israel, and, of course, encourage your participation between 6 and 9 this coming Thursday morning. I hope you'll join us for the big celebration that starts to usher in the spring months. Yes, yes, yes. Even, even if it's freezing outside, we have this uh, concept that Tu Bishvat actually makes it feel a little more like spring. 31 degrees, that doesn't feel like spring. 26 is the wind chill. We've got rain and snow showers today with a high of 40. Showers tonight, low 38. And tomorrow, look for rain with a high temperature of 56. At least we got that. Nice number for Shabbos Day. 63 right now in Yerushalayim. We're 31 with a wind chill of 26 on a Friday here at JM in the AM. Well, coming up in our studio in hour number two this morning, before we get to our weekly update, a somebody I know since I'm a little kid, Dr. Chaim Sukenik, who's now the president of the Jerusalem College of Technology, will be stopping by our studio here at JM in the AM. You may recall, speaking about blizzards, we were supposed to visit JCT in Israel about a month ago, and that got snowed out on that big snow Thursday. Uh, he'll be visiting us this morning in studio here at JM and the AM. There is also a rumor that the chairman of the uh, Hass concert, uh, Miles Berger, is going to stop by this morning in the 8 o'clock hour. On top of that, of course, we have our weekly update as uh, Malcolm Honline will check in. I believe he's in Israel, right? Didn't he tell us that? I believe he's in Israel. So he'll check in with us coming up uh, from the Holy Land. And um, I'm trying to think what else. Malcolm Holmline from Israel. And um, and Rabbi Yudin, I am told, is in Israel as well and will address us from there. So a lot going on on a Friday. Keep it here at 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. And around the world on the web, jmtheam.org.
JM in the AM. Leviathan with Bowie Vishalom off of the uh, CD entitled Yismach Moshe. Before that, Sandy Shmueli with his Sim Shalom. You heard Aisha Schail off of the Lachayim Tish Volume 4 collection. Uh, Shalom Aleichem done by Yitzi Spinner. And from Connections, the brand new uh, Shalshela CD. You heard Anim Zmirot here on a uh, Friday morning Erev Shabbos. 10th of January, 9th of Shvat, and getting very close to Tu B'Shvat, believe it or not. We're six days away from our annual Tu B'Shvat special. Make sure to join me and Mayor Weingarten right here this coming Thursday morning between 6 and 9. We'll kick off the spring season. Who cares if the wind chills at 26 this morning? We're ready for the spring. And Tu B'Shvat will uh, help that along this coming Thursday morning between 6 and 9 right here at JM in the AM. Following our program this morning, and we have an action-packed, jam-packed uh, program this morning. Afterwards, at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the stream at jmtheam.org, Naomi Nachman will be live from Gourmet Glot in Cedarhurst. The Aussie Gourmet herself is going to be conducting what we call a supersized table for two program. I'll be live cooking demonstrations, wine and food tastings, plenty of giveaways, special guests, We'll include our friends from Abel's and Hyman and Hod Lavan and Jay Booksbaum, the amazing wine sommelier from Kedem, is going to be there as well. So make sure to check it out. The supersized table for two with Naomi Nachman happens at Gourmet Glot in Cedarhurst on Spruce Street in Cedarhurst beginning at 9 o'clock this morning all the way until 10.30. Not only can you hear it on our stream at jmnam.org, you can see all the proceedings. If you go to the website at nachomsegel.com, you can see the entire thing live. It'll be very cool. She is great with the demonstrations and with the special guests. Uh, if you want to head on down there and get some uh, great giveaways and see her in person, no problem. Be at Gourmet Glot sometime between 9 o'clock and 10.30 this morning. And again, tune in at jmnam.org and watch it at nachomsegel.com. It is America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9. On the FM dial and around the world on the web, jmnam.org, Professor Chaim Sukenik is going to be visiting us after our news from Israel. We'll hear about a very special Shabbos schedule that he has. He is the president of the Jerusalem College of Technology, a place that we were scheduled to visit a few weeks back, you may recall, but we got snowed out. He is here in the United States. He's visiting us this morning, and we'll find out about JCT and find out about a very special uh, Shabbos schedule that he'll be on this coming Shabbos and Sunday, uh, speaking at a variety of places in our area. So we'll have that for you coming up. And, of course, Malcolm Honline with our weekly update. Uh, Malcolm is in Israel. The weekly update will be conducted at about 7.40 Eastern time this morning right here at JM in the AM. We'll go through the events of this week when he's in Israel. It always makes it extra special. And on top of that, Rabbi Yudin, I'm told, is in Israel as well. So he'll be addressing us about the Torah portion coming up. From the Holy Land. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas B'Shalach, Erev Shabbos Shira with candle lighting time at 428 on this Erev Shabbos. 428 is candle lighting time, 31 degrees. Got some rain and snow later on this morning with a high temperature of 40. Right now, Yerushalayim is at 56 and we're at 31 on a Friday. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday is next. Boker Tov from JM and the AM. 
גלי צהל השעה שתיים, כאן כרמית ראובן, עם מה שקורה עכשיו. בעקבות הפרסום כאן בגלי צהל אמש, ולפיו מועצת הרבנות, הרבנות אוסרת על גיוס בנות לצהל, מתקפה חריפה של שר האוצר לפיד על הרבנים. כתבנו יאיר שרקי. הרבנים הראשיים הודיעו שהם אוסרים על בנות להתגייס לצהל, כתב לפיד בדף הפייסבוק שלו בעקבות חשיפת גלי צהל. למרות חילוקי דעות נוקבים עם המח"ט, מעשים כאלו לא משרתים שום מטרה ואינם מקובלים לשון התגובה. עוד ביקורת מתוך הקואליציה על פרסום מכרזי הבנייה מעבר לקו הירוק. השר עמיר פרץ מהתנועה מסר, הצהרות הבנייה מיותרות ומסכנות גם את התהליך המדיני וגם את יחסינו עם הקהילה הבינלאומית. העובדה כי יש תחרות מצד פוליטיקאים על השגת תמיכה בהתנחלויות מסכנת את מעמדה הבינלאומי של ישראל. מגעים לעסקת נפט גדולה בין רוסיה לאיראן, מדווחת כתבתנו חן פישר. איראן תתחייב לספק לרוסיה חצי מיליון חביות נפט ביום בתמורה לסחורות. מקורות רוסים ואיראניים המקורבים למשא ומתן מסרו לסוכנות הידיעות רויטרס כי סיכוי ההצלחה של העסקה הזו גבוה מאוד ונותר רק לסכם פרטים אחרונים לקראת חתימה. במקביל בז'נבה נמשכות שיחות הגרעין בין איראן למעצמות. הסכם נפט עם רוסיה בסדר גודל כזה כמובן ייחשב להפרה מוחלטת מצד טהרן של הסכם הביניים עם המערב. היועץ המשפטי לממשלה העביר לבדיקת הוועדה לבחינת השעיית ראשי ערים את סוגיית השעייתו של שמעון גפסו, ראש עיריית נצרת עילית. כתבתנו תמר ירושלמי. גפסו מואשם בעבירה של לקיחת שוחד וכשיגיש ויינשטיין את הבקשה בעניינו, תידרש הוועדה להכריע האם כתב האישום חמור מספיק ומצדיק השעיה. אתמול פנה ויינשטיין בבקשה שהוועדה תבחן את השעייתו של ראש עיריית בת ים, שלומי לחיאני. בהודעת עדכון שמסרה המדינה לבג"ץ נכתב כי נכון לעכשיו לא תפנה לוועדה בעניינו של ראש עיריית רמת השרון יצחק רוכברגר, שכן הכריז על נבצרות מכהונתו הציבורית. מזג האוויר, הגשם המקומי בדרום ובמרכז ייחלש הערב. מחר בבוקר עדיין ייתכן גשם קל. אלה החדשות שעורך אילי לוין. JM in the AM on a Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. A correction, and this correction is dedicated to uh, my friend Seth. Uh, Naomi Nachman is going to be live, as we said, at 9 o'clock this morning at Gourmet Glot out in Cedarhurst. It is a supersized show. And, of course, our friends from uh, Abels and Hyman and Hod Golan, Hod Golan, are going to be there um, uh, as, uh, as usual uh, when Naomi does a show. So we thank them and, uh, again, I apologize for the uh, mispronunciation earlier. Hod Golan will be in the house as Naomi conducts a show from Gourmet Glot later on this morning. Five minutes after 7 o'clock on a Friday on this era of Shabbat. So some of you may recall that a few weeks back we were scheduled to be at the Jerusalem College of Technology uh, during a Thursday webcast, and uh, that got snowed out. That's right. There was a blizzard in Yerushalayim. I think you've heard about that if you listen to this radio program. 
And uh, I mentioned yesterday that uh, Professor Chaim Sukenik, the president of the Jerusalem College of Technology, would be in our studio this morning. He's traveling in the United States, has a very interesting schedule this coming Shabbos, as he will be presenting uh, at different synagogues in the area. And uh, I also mentioned that he is somebody that I know for a very, very long time, since I'm a little kid, believe it or not. So full disclosure is, of course, that uh, Professor Chaim Sukenik, in addition to being the president of the Jerusalem College of Technology, happens to be one of my dear first cousins, and it's a pleasure to welcome him here to JM in the AM. Dr. Sukenik, welcome to JM in the AM. Good morning, Nachum. Who would, who would have thought? Who would have thought is right. right. Congratulations. First of all, congratulations. I hear they have finally emptied the uh, JCT parking lot of snow. I'm told it's finally all gone. So. Who, who would have thought that you have to get away from Jerusalem to get away from the snow? No, let's not get into but that. It, it lasted a long time. Amazing, was, uh, I'll tell you. And you spent a lot of years in Cleveland, so you've seen blizzards, haven't you? Yeah, but growing up in Miami, I never right. quite identified with the uh, the winter experience. That's true. But it was good. It was uh, it, it was an opportunity. I guess you must have reported it also. There was an opportunity for tremendous chesed. Oh, yes. A lot of people really extended themselves. There was clearly a lot of pain along the way as well. But um, it, it really brought out some of the best in people. And oh, that no was a question. Good thing. A fascinating experience. Um, and secondly, congratulations on becoming the president of the Jerusalem College of Technology. And how did this come about? Uh, how did you first get introduced to this amazing institution that you ended up becoming its president. Yeah, it's uh, it's a story that goes back. I guess my family and I made Aliyah 18 years ago from Cleveland, uh, and we came because circumstances sort of uh, evolved. We were given an opportunity to go to Bar Ilan University, um, and I always identified and, you with Bar Ilan. Yeah, and in fact, since 1995, I've been there full time right. doing chemistry, nanoscience, and I must tell you, it's been a wonderful opportunity. It's a great experience, and I'm still maintaining a research group there. So one day a week, I actually still do go to Bar Ilan. In fact, and I'm sorry for interrupting, in fact, your name came up because we were speaking to students from Yeshiva University who were doing a special program at Bar Ilan, and in fact, it was under your supervision. Right, and in fact, that, that sort of just reflects a little bit of my Zionist agenda in the sense that uh, we saw an opportunity at Bar Ilan to bring in students who had had the enthusiasm for Israel back from their gap year programs, right. typically gone back to college, the enthusiasm fades, so we bring them back into laboratories in the summer. Uh, that's proven to be spectacular, both from the Bar Ilan faculty point of view. The students have enjoyed it. The science is great. The Israel experience is great. It's, it's really a unique opportunity. Right. But in, in any event, so just as my coming to Bar Ilan was kind of circumstances around me, about a year ago, I was approached by the people who were engaging in a search for a new president at, at JCT, uh, and they said, would you like to consider it? And um, I, I wasn't enthusiastic about it. I was actually quite happy at Bar Ilan. Uh, and then I had the opportunity to sit with uh, Yosef Bodenheimer. Yosef Bodenheimer was one president back, right. spectacular person, I mean, really an amazing man, a student of Professor Lev, the founder of the institution. Right. And Professor Bodenheimer explained to me in in, uh, in in detail, including some very heartrending stories about the kinds of things that what was brand-wise called Mahon Lev uh, within the Israeli, especially the Dati Lumi community, uh, just the kinds of things that he had seen it accomplish. And we talked together about the potential for the institution going forward. It, it's interesting be, because... 
everybody wants sound bites. Everybody wants to know exactly what you are. They want to know it in four words or less. Correct. Uh, <laughs> These and, days especially. Well, yeah, and, and we can't do that because if you look, we started about 45 years ago. Professor Lev, on one hand, was a Talmud Muvuk or Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky, mm-hmm. tremendous Talmud Chacham, a world-renowned expert in electro-optics. Um, had a vision for creating an institution that would allow B'nai Torah to assume leadership positions throughout the state of Israel. So he wanted army positions. He wanted high tech. He wanted really that, that the Torah that he was most comfortable with should now reflect itself in, in the state of Israel. That dream of his came true. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at the representation of Mahon Lev graduates in elite army units, uh, is Jerusalem high-tech. About right. a third of all the people doing high-tech in Jerusalem are linked to companies whose roots are in Mahon Lev. Um, we have, and, and we're very proud of it, we have graduates literally in every elite army unit and in a lot of high-tech, but we've also kind of broadened out. And, and really what happened, I don't know to what extent you followed the history of it, about 15 years ago or so, uh, there was a sense that the mission of being an elite institution where young men could learn Torah and could get a high-tech education had to be broadened. And that broadening took on a number of characteristics. So, for example, we opened a women's division. Right. Uh, uh now accounts for half the students. So you've got an institution which was small number of men doing high-tech engineering, and now all of a sudden you have an institution with 4,500 students of which half are women. That changed some of the programming, though I must tell you that the same kind of high-tech stuff that we're doing for the men, we're also doing for the women. Our courses are taught la rochav. They're taught across the board at the same level. So the demands, uh, the exams, uh, the entire curriculum is the same for those disciplines that are offered in each of our divisions. So, so that was one kind of revolution, the ability to reach out to the from woman who also wanted a gender-separated environment and that's what we are. Our men's campus in Givat Mordechai, our women's campus in Givat Shaul, along with another women's campus closer to Bnei Brak, Machon Lustig. Uh, that's what we are. We create an environment that is a comfortable religious environment, but with very high-level science and technology. And you're education. still at close to 5,000 students? Yeah. We're, current we're, students? Current students are about 4,500. amazing. Now, that includes a preparatory program. Uh, because we get a lot of students, and this takes us more into our current efforts in the Haredi community, uh, where we have students who need to be brought up to speed, either because they went mm-hmm. through a high school and didn't finish a bagrut, or because, as is the case, uh, we just recently have had a, a parade of politicians visiting our campus in the context of Haredi employment, Haredi education, Haredi employment. And one of the young men that has been interviewed, uh, both Shai Piron came through and most recently Shimon Perez came through, one of the young men that was interviewed, basically they turned to him and they said, why did you come here? And he says, well, I knew they could give me an environment I'd be comfortable in. I knew I could get a good high-tech grounding. And now, not only have they gotten me up to speed, he says, remember, I learned in Panovich for seven years, didn't have any limude chol, no secular studies from age 12, uh, got up to speed in about 16 months, managed to not only get through that program, the Machina program, but I'm now finishing a degree in electro-optics, and I have my own startup company. And I would assume that that this went even more quickly for him than others because of his yeshiva background, right? That that probably helped him along a little bit. The yeshiva background certainly helps intellectually, but the culture is different. Keep in mind, when the 
standard yeshiva product, especially by the men, goes into the Israeli academic world, not only is there this rather jarring experience of dealing with a college campus, uh, with all that comes with it socially and and otherwise, but there are also different timelines, okay? The idea of exams, Mm. the idea of demands, deadlines, things like that. Goal-oriented education. Yeah, it's not necessarily part of his yeshiva training. Understood. This fellow is particularly talented, but that's part of the problem that we're dealing with. And and I will tell you that as much as I respect and admire uh, the achievements of the guys in, in yeshiva, when they choose to come out after not having had secular studies for a very, very right. long time, even by us, where we've got the experience of over 15 years of, of trying to bring people up to speed quickly, the success rate in the machina is only around 50%. So, so for all of the intellectual, for the smarts and for the learning and, and the, the, and the hard work, there are just some gaps that are very hard to, to close, and obviously the more talented do, the somewhat less talented don't. Where does JCT rank in terms of higher academic institutions in Israel? I assume just based on the numbers, it's way up there, right? Well, we're, we're actually among the colleges. That there are two parallel tracks in Israel today. The university system, the Ph.D. granting right. institutions are larger than we are and have a, a character of their own. Barilan, for example, is part of the university system. Right. Um, JCT is part of the Michlala system, the college system, but is in a very small group of three or slash four institutions, depending on how you count, which are classified as Michlalot, but it's clearly recognized that there's something more there. Most of your Michlalot are teaching colleges for social sciences, for law, for, for things of that sort, uh, training, teacher training. Uh, the fact that we have this technology bent, the fact that our students are predominantly students who are doing final projects in science and engineering, puts us in a slightly different place. There's a lot of collaboration, collaborative research with industry, collaborative research with the Army. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are things that not only do our graduates get into them once they leave us, but we're also able to, to conduct those kinds of activities by us. And we're now starting to get into accelerators and incubators for businesses coming out of the JCT community. Wow. So uh, Professor strong. Chaim Sukenik is president of the Jerusalem College of Technology. I'm sorry for interrupting, but I just for our early morning listeners want to go through the schedule where they can hear you speak this coming Shabbos and weekend, uh, and uh, then we'll get back to our conversation regarding the Jerusalem College of Technology. Tonight, uh, Professor Chaim Sukenik will be at Renat Yisrael, which is, of course, uh, on West Englewood Avenue in Teaneck, New Jersey, or by Adler Synagogue. Uh, you'll be delivering a scientific Dvar Halacha this evening. Uh, tomorrow morning, you'll have a chance to meet uh, Professor Chaim Sukenik at that point. Uh, tomorrow morning, you'll be at Pnei Yishurin, uh, Rabbi Przansky with scientific insight into Torah and Halacha. Fascinating topic. Tomorrow afternoon at the base Medrash of Bergenfield on the topic of higher education in Israel, the engine that drives the startup nation and a vehicle for social change. And then Sunday at 9.30 in the morning, you're at the Edmund Safra Synagogue in New York City. Higher education in Israel, again, the engine that drives the startup nation and the vehicle for social change. Uh, any uh, any of those uh, appearances, I am sure, are going to be... Uh, uh, well worthwhile for those who are coming out to see you. Your doctorate is in is in chemistry. And uh, around went what w- around Caltech. what year were you granted that doctorate? Uh, left YU in '72. Went to Caltech, did a PhD in chemistry, and then a postdoc, staying in Southern California for about five years. 
So it's not exactly the preparation for running an engineering right. technology school. But on the other hand, the, the, the shiluv, the combination of Torah and science, is something that, that's always been not dear to, get, to my Not heart. to get too personal. Maybe I should have asked you this off the air 40 years ago. But was, was there pressure on a nice young Jewish boy to go more into the, I don't know, the, the hands-on medical field than be a chemistry professor or a, or a chemistry doctor? Um <laughs> or is that we'll we'll leave that. Well, no. My, my parents were always supportive of, of my efforts right. to do science, and in fact, well, did even, you yourself think that you'd want to go more into? No, oh, no this I, was I this really. Was, the, the this he, was your preference. The Hebrew Academy of Miami, where, where I grew up, right. was very supportive, and in fact, took a number of us and allowed us to advance our science education. So I kind of got hooked on science even before I fully understood what what the implications of that were. By the time I got to YU, I was committed to being a real chemistry major as right. opposed to a pre-med chemistry major. So wait, Caltech is after YU? Caltech is graduate school after YU. And was that a, a, a common step for people in your arena to go to go to Southern California? People went to graduate school. I think most people tended to stay on the East Coast. But remember, I got married while we were still at, at YU. My right. wife went to Stern. We got married after our junior year. So that once you're a self-contained unit, it's a little bit easier to think about going far and beyond. I will tell you, though, one of the things that's been really neat is that the predominance of pre-meds at YU in those days. Right. I don't know exactly what it is today. Likely the same, yeah. Uh, has given me a perspective for medical sciences, which is now turning out to be very, very useful. One of the things that happened at JCT with the expansion into women's programs is they did take on a few new programs for which there was a, a strong perceived need. There was a women's nursing program that was opened up, for example, which has proven to be spectacularly successful. It's already produced two groups, two machzorim of women that have come out. Uh, who in both cases have the highest average on the national nursing exam. I mean, they're producing a, a really, really quality product, and we're taking that now and trying to turn it into a gender-separated men's nursing program. Wow. Don't know if it's going to work, but there is Imagine a Imagine how much more employment would be open for... Uh uh, for men, I, I if that think would be so, successful. But, but I think there is a sense that many people, both in the Datilumi community and the Haredi community, you have guys who get experience in MADA, right. they get experience as army medics right. and Zaka. So there's an attraction to the medical side, but the investment to go into medical school, maybe they can't quite make the cut, it's extraordinarily competitive, or maybe they just don't want to devote all of the mm -hmm. years that it would take to specialize in medicine. So we're now starting to recruit for a program that we're hoping to that we're hoping to open October 1st we'll see if it works it, it's the kind of thing that until you try it nursing as you know is not a classically male right, right? you encourage sunny boy to be a doctor you right. don't necessarily encourage him to be a nurse uh, but but i think that's changed i think the cultural bias is pretty much behind us and it's an interesting opportunity because, as I say, we still stand for high-quality, gender-separated education. Nobody else is doing that on the nursing side. Fascinating. So we'll see. The typical student who walks into the Jerusalem College of Technology is where in their academics? Because obviously the Army, let, let's forget for a moment the, the Hesder, the specialty Army services, the typical Israeli, let's say, who's, I don't know, going for his two, three years of Army service. Would they walk into JCT after that point so, or even so, before? Yeah, it's, it's a mix. We have the Atuda program are guys who come straight from high school. The Army taps them as particularly talented and says, you go get a college degree, and then you'll come and do your Army service. So we have an Atuda guys typically coming from strong religious high schools, learn in our base medrash, do regular 
college degrees, right. uh, typically in electro-optics and computer engineering, uh, and then do their army service. So that's one population. That population coming out of high school turns out to be supplemented in a, a fascinating way. There is a high school that is adjacent to the Machon Lev uh-huh. campus called Torah Mada. It is probably the most competitive high school in Israel today. They're accepting less than 20% of their applicants. Outstanding, outstanding program. Formally, they have to be a separate organization. We're not allowed to be under the same financial roof. But they serve as a feeder, essentially. But it's turned out to be a wonderful feeder. And, in fact, those kids, we've worked out a coordinated program where they can do their college degree by just tacking on one year to their high school experience. An early admissions type? uh, Early admissions, actually. We start spacing out their college courses over grades 9 through 12. They do one year of grade 13, and they come out with a degree in computer science. So that's the, the young end. The older end are guys who are either post-Hesder, who come and do any of the, the range of degree programs that we take, offer. Which could take, what, two, three years? Which could take uh, Typical long? degree programs in Israel are three years okay. for the science programs and four years for the engineering programs. Uh, and we then, and this is what's turned out to be what I think is going to be our major contribution to the social revolution going on in Israel now, we have then, uh, or we have now, taken on a, a real focus in terms of the Haredi community. That is, our, our institutional DNA is still very much Datilu Umi, Zionist institution. However, uh, we are what I would call a Haredi-friendly environment. Right. Gender separated. And they feel that. Stru- they feel the friendliness. They f- not only feel the friendliness, there's a level of comfort. Right. So for all the adjustments that you have to make when you decide to leave yeshiva and go and get secular training, now all of a sudden we've taken away some of the social barriers. We've made things a little bit more comfortable. Remember, our staff is particularly sensitive to it. We've developed the experience in working with both men and women. I mean, remember, we're now up to... On the order of a third of our 4,500 students are from the Haredi world. It's about a thousand women. Oh, and about I don't 500 think anybody here men. knows that. Wow. Yeah. So, it, but but that creates a very interesting message, not a problem, but but a challenge. In other words, we view ourselves as a Datilumi, perhaps even the flagship of the Datilumi technology world. But we're not backing away from the opportunity to help the broader social picture in Israel, and that's what we're doing. There, there's so much I want to ask you. You keep using the phrase, uh, and, and you, I, I don't know if you remember this or not, <laughs> but I have, I have limited science background. In fact, in fact, you could have been very helpful in my house this week because there's a lot of biochem <laughs> finals being taken by my four <laughs> teenagers this week. Okay. But, but anyway, you, you remember my expertise was not in the sciences, <laughs> but you keep using the, uh, the, um, the term... Uh, uh, what's the term? Aside from uh, technology, no, there was science. another one. The uh, what's the area of, of engineering? The other one, the the one that they're oh, optics. What was the optics? Ah, one? electro optics. And and how how much further can this area yeah. go? Well, so it turns out that that's another. It's a wonderful example of siata deshmaya. No question. Professor Lev was the right person in the right place with the right expertise. Because it turns out that this area, it's basically the ability to take light. I mean, now you know, communications, okay? Broad communications are happening through light, through optical fibers. So it turns out that for the purposes of the Israeli army, you need electro-optics as a way of communicating with everything from ground communications to satellites. 
imaging technology also is linked to electro-optic devices. So Professor Lev was just at the right place in the right time for the Army's purposes, but he was also at the right place for the Israeli high-tech boom because a lot of the high-tech that came out of Israel also related back to electro-optic companies. And all from this area. In other words, the majority. A lot of it is based on that kind of technology, which then goes into laser technology. I mean, there's a lot of stuff there. Obviously, we don't take credit for the entire startup nation phenomena. But But I remember, I mean, you know that one of the people that keeps us up to date here on JCT is Ellie Libin, our good friend. Oh, sure. I mean, he brought us a, a, a virtual keyboard that's, that, you know, that, that I'm, I'll never forget when he brought this to us. It's a, a keyboard that sits on your table. It's not really a keyboard. It's an image that is yeah, on, so that, on the, the – and that is a product of JCT, correct? So there, there are a variety of these things, some of which are done as student projects and some of which are done actually as collaborative research efforts either with the Army or, or with companies. What's nice about it from the JCT point of view is that as long as we keep the research strong, it exposes our students to it. It allows the school to market itself as staying as close as possible to the cutting edge, despite being primarily a teaching institution. Right. I mean, it, it in a sense, we're not trying to claim that we're going to out on the technion. Right. But we are going to train engineers and scientists at a level that's every bit as good as the Technion. Right. So when they go off into Israeli industry or for graduate degrees, we've done our job, and they're now enabled to, to Look, do their it's, job. it's not your fault that the level of academics that you're offering ends up producing products that people use all around the world. Yeah, there, there's you know? a wonderful <laughs> story that I don't know if it made it here. A Mahon Lev graduate is in the Army Satellite Surveillance Unit, and the OFEC-5 satellite got in trouble. That is sometimes... Um, the optical quality, the quality of the pictures that you can send back. You know, someone, someone, someone gave it a zets. <laughs> Somebody kicked it a little too hard up in space. And basically, a Mahonlev product, when just about the rest of the brass was ready to abandon it and put up a replacement satellite, right. figured out a way to recalibrate the optics. He actually worked with Professor Bodenheimer as a, a consultant on it, recalibrated the optics on the satellite, and brought it to a circumstance where it was actually bringing back better pictures than the original so, specs. So he fixed it from a few miles he away. He fixed huh? it from a few miles away and saved mucho. I can imagine. Yeah, I can only he saved imagine. a lot of money. Uh, Professor Chaim Sukenik is here. Remember that he's visiting tonight at Congregation Arena at Yisrael in Teaneck, New Jersey. He'll be tomorrow morning at B'nai Yisurin in Teaneck. He'll be Shabbos afternoon tomorrow at the base Medrash of Bergenfield, and then Sunday at the Edmund Safra Synagogue. He is the brand-new president president of the Jerusalem College of Technology. And with all the things that we are discussing this morning, and there's a lot that people are learning about this very special institution, I, I think the most important is something that we have not yet brought up, and we should, and that is that uh, JCT is launching a brand new program for English-speaking students. I mean, you are now encouraging, and I, and I think to a degree you have in the past as well, but now to an even greater degree you're encouraging students from the U.S., to come check out JCT and see that it may be the perfect institution for them. Right. I, I think what we're trying to do is to piggyback on the fact that such a large fraction of the students from the Orthodox community do do a gap year, right. sometimes one or two years. We live near Shalavim, and right. I'm seeing guys that are staying for two years almost as a default now. What we would like to do is instead of trying to compete with those yeshiva programs, a guy goes to yeshiva, likes it, gets into the learning, that's great. Chooses to come back for a Shana Bet, what we're saying to him is, look, if you'll give us a day, uh, half a day on a Tuesday, and give us your Fridays, 
Um, we can teach you college level courses, and we're going to teach them in English. Uh, while you're doing your regular son of bet. While you're sitting, but not only son of bet, because after bet can come Gimel and Dalid, right. and if they'll do three years by us, they'll have a college degree. Right. So it's a college degree that for guys who are thinking about Aliyah, it's a it's perfect for them. But even for people who want to come back to the States, whether it's with a few credits, you know, just a transcript or with a full degree, our degree is recognized by the Council of Higher Education. It's a tool that I think doesn't, I don't want to cut into the Shana Aleph experience. I think for a lot of guys, that opportunity to dedicate themselves to learning has proven to be a life-changing experience and to my mind, a very positive one. Uh, But once they've already decided to stay on, then maybe injecting a little bit of reality and saying, okay, now let's start thinking about academics, about education, about Parnassa. Uh, The kinds of courses that we can offer right now, we're talking about perhaps two degrees, maybe a more business-oriented degree and perhaps a computer science-oriented degree. The recruiting is going on now, but it's recruiting in Israel. That is, we're going to the right. guys who are there in the yeshivas with the approval of the Russia yeshiva mm-hmm. and saying, okay, well, I know, let's I know, see if we I can know do youngsters it. have already taken advantage of this, so I know it's working already. Well, so we had, we had tried to run a regular Shana Ba'aretz kind of program, and our feeling was that that didn't take best advantage of where we were uniquely strong. Right. So I think that we're shifting the focus of that a little bit. It's going to be interesting to see what kind of demand it Can an English generates. speaker understand the lectures at JCT? The standard lectures are all in Hebrew. Right. Now, there may be some day schools in your listening audience <laughs> that there are uh, some. <laughs> can get guys, up, and men and women, right. up to speed where they can go directly into to Hebrew language lectures. I can tell you from my experience at Bar-Ilan, uh, even though the science textbooks, many if not most of them are in English, so that does give an advantage to the English speaker, at the end of the day, sitting in a lecture and trying to learn calculus or organic chemistry in Hebrew, if you don't have decent decent plus Hebrew language skills, right. is very tough. Right. So our assumption is that um, for most kids, that's going to be a non-starter. For most people to go straight into a Hebrew language program, it's a non-starter. The one who wants to do a serious ulpan, who really sees himself making that long-term commitment to being in Israel, yeah, the opportunities are fantastic. And if you think about it, getting your training in Israel is a major advantage. Right. right? It, it gives you the networking. It gives you the connections. So I think to that extent, it, it has its potential. I would hate to see it marketed, though, as a slam-dunk option for the standard American Yeshiva High School product. Understood. Uh, this program for English-speaking students is open to women as well? I mean, is that something that's uh, In that this year, we're not recruiting on the women's side. We've had some women who have come to Machontal. Uh, there has been some demand and even some thoughts of collaboration, particularly because of the nursing program. Uh, we'll see. I think we don't want to bite off more than we can chew for this first year around. I think we're going to stay just with the men's recruiting for this year. We'll see how it goes. There are a number of, of really exciting opportunities. Uh, the academic degree recruiting is, is our main focus. There is some recruiting going on for what they call Limudei Teuda, these kind of certificate programs, which are not necessarily an academic credential, but still do provide some job-oriented training. Right. We'll see. I think we've bit off a, a pretty large chunk for this year, and, and we'll see where it gets us. How do people get information about all this? I, I would bet there are people in our audience who, uh, I don't know, may want to financially support these programs or certainly look into it for their children. I mean, how does one in the U.S., aside from listening to this program, find out more about JCT? Well, the JCT website mm-hmm. is certainly the easiest place to go, and there I think you'll get good information. The website is both in Hebrew and in English. 
you'll get good information about the academic programs, about the kind of outreach work that we're doing. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that, that is extensions of what we've been talking about, reaching out to the Ethiopian community. Oh, I meant so, to ask you because I saw you have hundreds of Ethiopian yeah, students. And, and it's worth exceedingly well. And I, know, that this, I well. know this question is going to sound terrible, but I'm so curious. I would assume that, I mean, certainly a generation back, if not this generation, uh, they did not have the academic background that other communities in Israel... You, you are a master of understatement. <laughs> um, so ha- yeah. has that adjustment gone smoothly? It, I mean, it's, it's a project in process, but I will tell you that because we're taking it on as a very concentrated focal effort, uh, we recruit... Very talented young men and women from the Ethiopian community. Do you have superstars from the Ethiopian community? At this Absolutely. Point? You already I mean, have superstars. Yeah, in the we're Ethiopian talking community. about two to three hundred students total. About right. half have graduated. About half are in the pipe now. Both bachelor's degrees and master's degrees. Many of them are going on to army afterwards and have done beautifully there. Uh, there, our employment rate and our success rate actually approaches a hundred percent. But there what we're doing is we're mentoring from the get-go. We're starting with kids who need some academic supplementation from the very beginning, working with them, in many cases working with their families. Remember that the typical story coming out of the the Israeli-Ethiopian community today, large family, mom and dad don't have a a beginning of an idea of what higher education is all about. So the stipend that you provide has to be enough not only for the student and in many cases his family to live on, but you also have to compensate mom and dad because they're reluctant to give up the earning power of the son who could be out there doing menial stuff but bringing in real money. So that's been a project that's been going for a number of years, has its own base of support. But I'll just come back to what you asked before. In general, we're trying very hard to get better visibility in the North American community. Uh, part of the reason that I'm here is, is just to get the word out. I think sure. we're doing good stuff. People should be aware of it. Um, there is an American Friends of JCT organization that allows people to contribute in a tax-deductible way, and that certainly can be found through the web very, sure. very easily and also through our website. I think what we'd love to see happen, and, and for me this would be the fulfillment of a dream, is to have people come and visit our campus in Jerusalem. I know that for an American Jew now to visit Israel – I wouldn't say it's ho-hum, but, but certainly compared to when we were growing up, it's, it's, it's pretty routine. And what I'd love to see happen, I think there's nothing like seeing it for yourself. Coming onto our campus, seeing the heterogeneity of our population within the religious world in Israel. So whether it's the Kippah Sruga with the Bekisha, or whether it's the Ethiopian fully integrated, these are things that resonate very strongly with me. I, I derive a tremendous amount of satisfaction by walking into the base medrash and, and seeing that kind of thing, but no less satisfaction by walking into a calculus class and seeing these guys learning together there. I think we're making a direct contribution in terms of a communication among these groups, and if anyone out there would like to come visit us, uh, my own email is cns at jct dot ac dot il for academic israel uh but i think the general information email uh of the uh of the college is something that we'd love to have people use and and come see it for themselves there is so much to be proud of it's really amazing what's going on and uh any information you need folks just search the jerusalem college of technology and take advantage of uh dr chaim sukenik's uh, invitation he is the new president of JCT and is taking this uh, mission very seriously and uh, Bezrat Hashem 
and that your leadership will see it grow even more and even more. It's Thank really, you uh, so much. It's a lot of satisfaction, but I think there's a, there's a lot to be done, and we're happy to have you have gi- You have this. given me even more reason to be proud to be part of the Siegel Sukenic clan. Okay. How do you like that? I'll tell you, <laughs> but, but a, a small, now sure. not so secret, you should know that your father, Olava Shalom, gets a, a significant chunk of the credit for my having gone to YU and followed the path that I did. It's a story for off the air, perhaps, but uh, there's a lot of Hakara Satov on my side to him as well. So when you left Miami, you had other choices. There were uh, other, other places you were considering. Yes. Interesting. And your father was a uh, a significant force in helping that decision be made. Well, well thank you for that. So, yeah. Chaim, I cannot wait to reunite with you in Israel. And have a fabulous time this Shabbat. I think you're going to meet some great people. The Teaneck community and the Manhattan community are wonderful places. A lot of people who I would bet... Uh, They themselves would be curious to come visit JCT and see what it's all about. Tonight, you can meet uh, Professor Dr. Chaim Sukenik, the president of the Jerusalem College of Technology at Congregation Renat Yisrael in Teaneck, New Jersey, tomorrow morning at B'nai Yashurin in uh, Teaneck, uh, tomorrow afternoon at the Base Medrash of Bergenfield, and then Sunday at the Edmund Safra Synagogue in New York City. Tadarabah, enjoy, and Shabbat Shalom. Thank you very much. Shabbat Shalom. Professor Chaim Sukenik is president of the Jerusalem College of Technology. Plenty more coming up here at JM and the AM, including Malcolm Holmline and our weekly update. Keep it right here at 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, and around the world on the web at jmandtheam.org.
J.M. and the A.M. It's Yoel Sharabi with Shalom Aleichem. Before that, the Az Yashir on this Erev Shabbos Shira done by Aryeh Kunzler. Excuse me, Friday morning, J.M. and the A.M. on this Erev Shabbos Parshas B'Shalach. It is Erev Shabbos Shira. To Bishvat is coming up on Thursday. Make sure to join me and Mayor Weingarten as we... Uh, do our Tu Bishvat special this coming third. We're turning it into spring. We're taking this weather, tossing it out the window, and bringing it in the spring this coming Thursday. Candle lighting at 428 on this Erev Shabbos. Don't forget, at 9 o'clock this morning, Naomi Nachman on jmnam.org, live from Cedarhurst from Gourmet Glot, with our friends from Abels and Hyman and Hod Golan, and, of course, Jay Booksbaum from Kedem, with giveaways and a whole bunch of stuff. She'll be at Gourmet Glot coming up at 9 o'clock this morning on the stream all the way until... 10.30 with a supersized table for two program. That's Naomi Nachman. And you'll be able to see it all, not just hear it on our stream, but see it all when you go to NahumSiegel.com. How do you like that? So spend your morning at your desk and uh, make sure to have our video going. You'll be able to see all of it live. I want to thank our friends at JewishWorldReview.com who continue to enthusiastically recommend to their readers our web stream at jmnam.org. Thank you, jewishworldview.com. If you're looking for a comprehensive look into what's happening in this world of ours, with some great analysis and wonderful articles, you want to check out their website. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He is live in Jerusalem, which is always extra special for us, and joins us live via telephone here on a Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. We call it the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you very much. It's good to be on the air, but it's good to be in Jerusalem. Yeah, I can imagine. Where it's a lot warmer. Uh, still a lot of snow on the ground, I hear. What, is there still like a foot and a half of snow? Um, let me look out. <laughs> I don't know where you're walking, but there ain't no snow around here. I don't know. The last time, the last thing I remember is there was a lot of snow out there. Anyway. Uh, well, they told me it was specially ordered. You're missing the you're missing the big story of the week here. You're uh, you're sitting out the whole Bridgegate scandal. I mean, we know. Uh, yes, oh no, I've seen it here. Yeah. Governor Christie's uh, contribution to the entertainment this week. Unbelievable, I'll tell you. Have you ever conducted such a long news conference in your life? Um, I don't remember a two-hour news conference. Malcolm, one of the best anything. One of the best tweets I saw yesterday during the news conference is that he's doing a news conference filibuster, waiting for the next big story <laughs> to hit. That's a good line. He's he's waiting for the news cycle to sort of push this thing away, but I guess I guess that didn't happen. Uh, oh, by the way, we should mention because there were so many people in our listening audience, and obviously throughout the Jewish community around the world. Uh, concerned about the Jacoby boy from Massachusetts. He was right. found last Thank night. God. Yes, he was found in, in Times Square, and they say that he was found okay. Uh, Hashem. I think everybody should stop the speculation and let the family and him deal with whatever. 100%. And uh, also, um, <clears throat> excuse me, and I'm seriously not making a joke of this, obviously, but it's just uh, if there's anything new, we'd love for you to tell us. You're in Israel now, obviously. I would assume that aside from telling us that the situation continues to deteriorate, there's not much else to say about uh, Prime Minister Sharon at this point, right? No, the hospital stopped putting out notices, um, I think, earlier this week. And then yesterday did put one out to say that his situation deteriorated, but... Family said he continues to fight like a lion, and uh, appropriate for his name. Yeah. And he 
it, it is truly remarkable, the strength of his heart, the strength of his uh, constitution to withstand, even with renal failure and other problems setting in, that he's able to sustain. The doctors, uh, frankly, had thought uh, that uh, he would not have lasted this long. Well, one thing that all of us, just as spectators, and obviously you as somebody who's been so close to the situation, has always known, and that is that he's a fighter. I mean, th- this is something that you could attest to in terms of his personality, right? Absolutely. <clears throat> he was very determined, and when he set his mind to something, he was hard to deter him. And he, as you saw throughout his, his career, even on some very controversial decisions. Malcolm, you know what happened here uh, uh, last week, uh, this uh, brutal murder of um, uh, Menachem Stark in Brooklyn, and uh, obviously it's not my position to speculate about anything other than uh, extend our condolences to the family, and, uh, and, and again, just we find it so hard to believe how brutal a murder it was, whatever the circumstances were that were involved. Um, but uh, you know that one of the uh, key uh, stories in the aftermath of what happened is the New York Post coverage of the entire episode. And uh, I know it's not usually yours or my um, a situation to go ahead and start uh, uh, criticizing other members of the media, but so many people are so curious about what you thought about their coverage and if the uh, the outcry to the degree that it was was justified. Well, I think that the cover and some of the content of the articles that appeared was really outrageous, but not just on the part of the Post. I think the fact that even people from our community jump into the speculation about any business dealings, anything that they can, without knowing anything, without having any background on him, uh, the word is that he was a big, a very charitable, big Balhassad, that he did many good things. And frankly, at this point, that's all that people should be discussing and, and thinking about his family and the, and the suffering they're going through. I don't understand why people find this value on all these websites and speculating and uh, people getting so involved. They cared about it. They're people, we have to look at the lesson about security in our communities, about the cameras. Those are the things that we have to, to focus on and, and of course, uh, focus on his family and, and uh, their situation. But the the post headline, I think, really went far beyond what is acceptable, and I don't know in other comparable situations they would do the same. It seems that seeding people with the beards and and yarmulkes, uh, let alone the picture with the strimal, you know, is exotic. So it it makes it more interesting. But to portray a guy like that when they have no facts yet, we have no information. I think was, was that the outrage about it was uh, was justified generally. Well said, and I'm glad I brought it up. Um, all right, you're in Israel, and uh, it, it just seems that the pressure. And now one has to start to speculate whether now we're getting into this whole arena of presidential legacy. You know, are, are, is is this now the intention? Because the intensity with which the Kerry meetings and the frequency of the meetings and, and just how much this Middle East peace process, which seems to not really be much of a process at all, continues to be in the news, is, is, at, a, is at an unpre- unprecedented level even for this administration. Um, you're in Israel. We know that when you're there, you obviously uh, uh, speak to people who are really in the know. Uh, what can you tell us about the process that's going on right now and why John Kerry continues to put this type of pressure on Israel. Well, he is coming back again. I think this was his 10th visit. The last one, this will be his 11th visit upcoming. 
he is uh, he has expressed his commitment to to this process and certainly demonstrated it. There are many people who talk to me, ministers. I've met with many of the leaders here. Uh, talk about the nature of the negotiations and the personal relationships and speculate about the relationship with Obama. I do not think that the President Obama is involved in these negotiations. I think this is Senator Kerry, uh, Secretary Kerry, former right. Senator Kerry, and that he is very committed, whether for because of his perception of the world, whether he wants to have this crowning achievement, all that speculation aside, uh, there is a, in the works, a not an agreement, but a framework which will be the basis for negotiations. The Palestinians are insisting on certain things being in there. Number one, something not being in there is recognition of the Jewish state by them, which he says he will not do. He insists on the right of return being mentioned. He insists on which will never happen. Israel will not recognize it. And then they, there were rumors about proposals of 60,000, 80,000 Palestinians being allowed into Israel based upon what happened at Camp David in 2000 with President Clinton, where that proposal was uh, put forward. Then, it, uh, So right of return is something for Israel that is an absolute red line. And as uh, somebody said, what will they do if 3 million Palestinian refugees come to the West Bank? Forget about Israel. They can't accommodate them. What are they going to do with them? So the whole issue of whether Palestinians get resettled where they are, or what they where they go, is a is a very serious issue. Did he? The did question he? Did, of did, borders, did, let me just finish because this is a, uh, it's really a serious matter in terms of of some of the uh, polling and some of the attitudes because this process is moving forward, as you said, and it's not going to stop right now. From all that I see, it's going to go, and, and Jerusalem is now on the table as well. There's got to be something on Jerusalem. And obviously, Israel, for Israel, this is extremely sensitive and hopefully will be uh, dealt with in, in, with that uh, seriousness. The question of the 67 borders and land swaps and that the Palestinians come out and say, we don't want to be swapped, although a third of the Palestinians say they favor being annexed to a Palestinian state or a Palestinian entity, uh, so this framework agreement from which each side can have expressed differences, but will outline certain uh, directions, let's say, and then the negotiations will be to fill in the infrastructure uh, that is uh, outlined in the framework agreement. Is, is it possible that he, in fact, told representatives of the PA, if you simply recognize Israel, we can have 50,000 of your people come right back to Israel in an instant? Was it Everything that? is possible, and it, it may not be that formula. It could be something else where he's, he, because Kerry has been pressing Obama on, uh, I'm sorry, Kerry has been pressing Abbas about the issue of a Jewish state. Again, I wanted to say that I don't believe President Obama is directly involved. I guess I assume that Kerry, Senator, uh, Secretary Kerry reports to him uh, regularly, uh, but this is really the secretary driving a process, coming back there uh, over and over again, and doing so within the context also of all that's going on in the world. And people are saying, why is he focusing on this when the Abbas will not even lessen 
the incitement. I mean, we've seen all the reports over the last couple of weeks building on what we've talked about on air and others have for a long time, and that is there's a constant diet in every media, church, and mosques, in government pronouncements, honoring the he himself joined in honoring the martyrs, quote, who were released by Israel, meaning terrorist killers, that he greeted them and had staged this huge welcome for them and extolling, you know, these people who, who killed innocents. So the... the uh, the question that really being asked, and I heard it from several people who are key in other countries, asking what, why not? And if, but if you look at the region, Iraq today is heading towards a civil war. You see the bombings and see the increasing Al Qaeda presence and the, and, and, and the Iranian influence. Right. Uh, Syria is certainly going to have a hard time moving to and towards a negotiated settlement. We see now even the Geneva Conference is, is hampered and in question. And many of the opposition groups are saying they won't go, and they're in disarray. Then you have uh, the situation in Iran. You look at Afghanistan. I mean, take each situation, right. Yemen. Understood. But just get back to my original point for a moment. And I understand you're saying that he's not involved and not you know, participating on a daily basis in this. But just like we saw with a lot of prior presidents, and you and I could sit and list all of them and, and analyze exactly how they wanted their legacy to come through some type of Middle East peace process, would you, would you think or, or would you tend not to think at this point that Obama is focused on the Middle East peace process being part of his presidential legacy? That the president is focused on Yes. It? Is this important to him? Is Kerry... Well, he, got, is you know, Kerry he got a Nobel Prize, and he has to now earn it. And frankly, you don't get it for most other places in the world. You get it, it seems, only over the Middle East, and a number of people have already. So I'm sure that the president would like to see a resolution. It's something that came out of, he invested a lot in his first term. When he went to Cairo, he went to Turkey. Both of those situations, obviously, are not what he would envisage. You have uh, Erdogan, I mean, with the collapse of this great scandal in Turkey, which I hope we'll talk about, and certainly the situation in Egypt, everyone knows. So the president, uh, but what I meant was the president's personal engagement. Yeah, I understand. If this process, I, I think that if this process takes off, you will see far greater involvement on the part of Right. I, I'm just trying to understand, it. is all the shuttling back and forth because of the Obama legacy? I mean, Kerry is approaching this, especially, remember, he has a relatively uncooperative PA, even compared to the way they used to be. So, is, so is, is the constant shuttling and the and his desire to keep this in the headlines? Is it an Obama thing? Is it a Kerry thing? That's all I'm asking. And I don't. I know. I, I try to answer it that that it is to a degree both. It's it is Kerry who is running this process and who makes decisions when to come back and when not to come back. As I said, I, I'm sure, though I don't know of any direct meetings, but I'm sure that they consult. Um, but. Uh, obviously, the president is done during his administration, right. and the outcome of it impacts his legacy. Do you agree that far the P- more impacts Kerry's legacy? Do you agree more. that the PA at least gave the impression of more cooperation in this process a couple of years ago? Uh, from people I spoke to today who are close to the to the process, say that he's actually uh, been more cooperative lately. Although his public statements have been much tougher, we see the outreach by Hamas. To, to the uh, to the Palestinian Authority now, trying talking about reconciliation because they're under tremendous pressure from the Egyptians and you know have had to pull back a bit on their um, on their own position and, and therefore reach out each time when it's uh, when it's convenient to do so. 
So this, anything beyond that is pure speculation. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial and around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Malcolm Holmline is in Israel. It's not like he landed this morning. He's been there for a few days already, so he's got uh, plenty of conversations and uh and meetings already under his belt for this week, so we're trying to get as much information as possible from Malcolm about what he's heard uh, in Israel, both from the uh, government officials he speaks to and, of course, from the street as well. By the way, and i, I got to get back to the housing announcement, which I will in a minute, but you mentioned Erdogan. I read the Time Magazine article. I don't know. It, it, it seems it seems like no one is speculating that. I, I understand that the, you know this, the the scandal there is um, is a threat to him, but it doesn't seem like anyone's predicting that it's gonna it's gonna cause his ouster. Do you do you believe that he actually could be uh, replaced in Turkey at this point? It, it, no, I don't believe that this is yet. But I do think it leads to undermining further his position, and they're facing an election in a year. Uh, and you know he wants to run for president, <clears throat> and he's uh, he would like to, you know even getting a third term, but he he's it, it affects him politically. It affects his standing in the country. Um, you know he's put in prison a lot of the generals. Right. At some point he's going to have to let them out, and and we have to look at the nature of this of what the specific issue right now. But it's only one of several, and his behavior often has been bizarre. And you had the demonstrations inside Iran. Uh, inside the Turkey, and Turkey sending some of the refugees from Syria into Bulgaria and other countries. I mean, he plays a, a, a nefarious role throughout the region, and not unlike Iran, both of them are attempting to to extend their influence. One, the Persian Empire; one, the Ottoman Empire, and to reassert that. And he wants to be a regional player. He doesn't want to be a local player, and that part of his anti-Israel stance is because of that. So this is an issue where you had. Uh, a guy named Sanjani who was recently arrested by by Iran, and it involved uh, huge amounts of money, perhaps more than a hundred billion dollars. And questions are raised whether how much the United States knew, when they knew it, why didn't they stop it earlier? And it said that that Iran had two billion dollars in Sanjani's hands, meaning that money, and they would buy uh, trade this money from Turkey, gold, for money in Iran. And this money came from often oil sales done in third countries where they would change boats in midstream so it wouldn't be clear that the oil was coming from Iran. Then the money would be sent back and had to be done in clandestine ways as well. And and we're told that the uh, oil changes took place, you know, literally around the globe as part of this conspiracy. So one day there will be a a great meeting, a great movie made of, of all of this stuff. But... It's it's really oil extracted in Iran being sold to third countries. The trans revenues transferred to Iran in cash or gold, and because the system is illegal, the transactions in the third countries involve bribery and blackmail. So there's a whole network of crime and criminal elements involved in this. You know, you mentioned uh, his attitude toward Israel, and in order to win friends, he's got to be against Israel. There are. And I don't expect you to go into details about this, but uh, uh, there are clandestine meetings that are constantly going on uh, between, I don't want to say representatives of BB, but let's say, uh, you know, people who are uh, encouraged by Israel to to meet with countries and find out what their position is vis-a-vis, vis-a-vis Iran. Let's put it that way. And I think that at this point, 
and you're, I think you're seeing this with Saudi Arabia and other countries, uh, they, they've got to choose what side they're on. Is he making a calculated error at this point in terms of his own future, Erdogan, by not, by not uh, choosing the Israel side and instead choosing the other side? He, he won't think so. He, he is, um, look, he's moving the country more and more in an Islamist direction. He sees himself in competition with Iran for regional significance, and, and uh, he knows that you appeal to the Muslim street, to the Arab street, by being anti-Israel and by engaging in the incitement and, and doing all these public uh, things that he has done uh, against Israel. Right. So, uh, you know, it is all part of this. And, and they look at the other developments. You know, we, what, when I mentioned about Iraq, when we talk about the Hezbollah in Iraq, you talk about the, the clashes that are taking place where Al-Qaeda now is building up its forces in, in, in Iraq, and you have Sunni Shiite clashes taking place, and it's not only the transfer of stuff uh, through Iraq to, to, um, to Syria. And in Inbar province, the fighting is, is taking place over control, and it keeps switching back and forth, and you have uh, Jabhat al-Nusra and, and other groups now competing and collaborating uh, for power in, in in Syria, in Iraq, and and uh, countries like uh, Egypt and Saudi Arabia and others have to look at this with uh, with great concern. And, and Al Qaeda suffered setbacks in Syria, but is winning victories in Iraq. It's a very complex situation, and everybody knows that they're facing serious challenges that could affect each country. The Kurds are are organizing, it seems, um, uh, more and more effectively. What what makes this uh, uh, story with Turkey most disturbing is number one, when the United States knew and did they act on it quickly enough. Two, many other countries are involved. You know that uh, Iran has set up, it's believed, 150 front companies just in this country of Georgia, and that the Iran Revolutionary Guard now controls about 50 percent of the economy uh, of uh, of Iran. Wow, and, and it's increasing. That's exactly right. Wow. And, and then you, you, people, you know, look at each thing in isolation rather than trying to plug each of these pieces of the puzzle together, uh, the threats by Iran about increasing the centrifuges because they see America weak. They right. see the West weak. So they will make a speech about 60% enrichment because they want leverage against the, the new legislation. By the way, more than half of the Senate has now signed on to the Senator Menendez, Kirk, uh, Schumer, et cetera, bill, 53 uh, members of the Senate, and they want to get it up to a veto-proof majority. What, to kill the November 24th agreement? To No, to that would add sanctions if they fail to live up to the commitments they made. And it goes into effect in six months, but the administration is opposing it. The members of Congress are saying, look, what got Iran to the table was the sanctions. Right. We have to show them that there are going to be more sanctions and more serious consequences does, if they fail. Does they the, have no intention, I believe, of really going uh, all the way on, 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 uh, on, on towards it. And they said they will not take away this, the, um, the, the enrichment that they Right, are, but, are, but from the can-you-go-back category, does the U.S. have the power to destroy this November 24th agreement or not? I'm just curious if they even have the... Yes. They do. They have the authority to do it's that. Not an, it's not an agreement. I know. And the, the Iranians say, by the way, that they can walk away from it. The interim they agreement. They say it's an, it's an understanding. Right. It's not... They change the language right. that they refer so to. So when will it become obvious? It's now January. At what point will it just become obvious that the U.S. has no choice but to say, okay, it's obvious the Iranians have no desire to adhere to this? 
Well, Iran's continued involvement in terrorism in the region, Iran's uh, negotiators continue to obfuscate, as they did this week again, in the talks and lying and, and, and introducing the idea that, you know, all their R&D and stuff was not stopped, the research and development. So they are improving the centrifuges. Right. They're already talking about a third generation, not just the second generation, which can uh, enrich much quicker than uh, what they have. And mainstream news sources are reporting this. It's not like it's an obscure story. I mean, it's known. Right. And and then you see, you know, their offshoots like Hezbollah with these new, with the increased numbers of the Yachmut uh, uh, missiles, which they get through Russia and, and elsewhere. Um, so so we, we, we're dealing with a situation where Iran has benefited, gotten some of the benefits already from the proposed deal, i.e. the, the uh, increase in the export of oil, the Real, their currency, has bounced back. The uh, stock market has gone up considerably. And the, at the same time, they have not given one thing. Right. They have not dismantled one centrifuge. They have not cut back anything. They're continuing to enrich as before. And they say that the base against which they, they, will, they will be measured after the six-month negotiations doesn't start until the implementation agreement. So right now they're enriching more and more into their stockpile, that will be the base in in uh, six months, not what they had when the deal was signed. All right. So will the United States take action, especially now that you tell me they have the authority to do so, will they take action to completely derail this process, or just like we see with, with sanctions and everything else that Iran continues to get away with, it'll just keep you know dragging on and dragging on as the United States continues to fool itself into thinking that Iran is going to comply? Well, why wouldn't they, if they see that they can get all the benefits, they're starting to get the benefits, that the psychology in the country is better, the psychological barriers regarding sanctions uh, right. have been shattered by the, the deals. I'm not they asking have, from the Iran an side. Oil, there's I'm... an oil uh, um, conference taking place, an energy conference. You have 50 foreign oil companies from 20 countries coming to attend it. But so, I'm not asking from the Iranian side. I understand their position. I'm wondering when the U.S. is going to wake up already. Well, the United States is saying, look, we're testing it. We're not, we have, we can reimpose all the sanctions that we had. Anything that will be lifted can be put back. And that to date, they have not removed any of the sanctions yet, officially. But that's why I keep stressing about the barriers that have been broken, because it's not really because anybody has changed the laws here in the United States or the application of the law. It's because the anticipation of it has already led the Italians are doing a lot, the Germans, the British, Russian, they're talking about doing business, especially in oil and other sectors. So the United States, you know, says that they look at this realistically, that they have a clear picture of what Iran is up to, and uh, that they're giving, that they're testing them. And and the United States was very tough on them about the the new centrifuges and about what they do, especially uh, with certain specific incidents. We won't go through all of it. But you know, the time we will see very soon. This is not a long-term uh, issue. Yeah, the unfortunate part is the U.S. often makes these long-term issues, and it just keeps going longer and longer term. And we have to show how tough that we're going to be tough with this issue, that the other Europeans and everybody else will follow what the United States does. So this legislation in Congress should be supported as a message to the Iranians that we mean it and that you will have additional consequences. And if you think that the relief you have now gains you some with your people, it'll be worse than, than it was before because we're going to have new sanctions, tougher sanctions, more enforcement. 
We should put the aircraft carrier back that we took out. We should take stands that send clear, unambiguous messages. The message we sent with Syria when we didn't carry it out, the messages we're sending elsewhere. And the idea that we only put pressure on our friends, that Israel becomes the target of pressure, that other countries that, that want to be pro the United States tell us that they feel that they're the ones under the gun, and enemy states like Iran and, and sometimes hostile states like Turkey don't, they aren't held to the same standard. Yeah, no question about that. All right, back to the uh, construction announcement. There's always a, a big issue and uh, always one that uh, we want to get. You know, it, 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 I know that you always tell us that these are construction permit announcements, nothing, you know, concrete yet, so to speak. But what's interesting is the timing. All these announcements get postponed for a reason. Carries in the country, uh, there's a certain negotiation, prisoner release, whatever the reason is. And it seems, it seems that when it's eventually announced, it's still bad timing. Like, there's no reason to postpone these announcements anymore because no matter when it's announced, it always seems to be an inappropriate time for Israel. In this case, they announced plans to build 1,400 new homes in the quote-unquote West Bank and East Jerusalem. Even though it was no surprise, the announcement's likely to anger the Palestinians. It could cast a shadow on the U.S.-led peace efforts. I remind you, Malcolm, this is not illegal on Israel's part, but Kerry uh, often recommends restraint when it comes to this area of new construction. What could you tell us about this announcement? Wow. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, As you said, it is a preliminary announcement. It was held off, uh, I think, till now. It, it is not the start of construction. It, it's it's for tenders, you know, for for people to submit proposals or bids for these uh, houses. And the history, as you rightly uh, uh, cited, uh, I don't know. You know, sometimes people complain about the timing, and I think there are legitimate gripes in saying, you know, that we refocus the attention each time on the right. settlements by doing this. I think that's a legitimate commentary and something that could be examined. But on the other hand, it's a normal governmental function. This is not something that is extraordinary. It is very sensitive, but it, it is a normal government function to do this. And the, the cabinet has to approve it. Ultimately, I think when the expansion and the, uh, the new building and it's, um, you know, to stop it is unnatural to say that there can't be any growth especially when you have the Palestinians building in, in very large numbers. What do you think of Naftali Bennett's announcement that he's really ready to pull his party out if there is uh, any uh, type of Judea and Samaria included in the deal? Say that again? If Judea or Samaria are included in the deal that Kerry's arranging right now, Naftali Bennett says he's ready to pull his uh, party out of the government. No surprise there, right? Oh, yes, I'm sorry. I didn't hear the first part. Yes, there's no surprise there. I met with uh, Naftali Bennett. I think he is uh, serious about it. But I think those things are going to be far off. I don't think that the negotiations are going to come very quickly and that the the framework agreement won't go into that kind of granular detail where we will talk about the disposal or disposition in terms of any specific territorial area, but we'll deal more in principles that the sides will then be able to say they're for, they're against, uh, whatever their position is. By the way, we saw photos of you meeting with Torah giants in Israel. Obviously, I'm sure the army issue is one that comes up. But do the political issues come up? Do you, do you discuss uh, the, 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 the carry uh, uh, shuttle uh, diplomacy uh, um, um, uh, with the Torah giants in Israel as, as well? As they int- are they interested in that, uh, in that uh, section of the news? A hundred percent. I did meet, had the privilege to meet, which I do, 
uh, whenever I can on a visit, if I have some time to visit uh, some of the great uh, Torah leaders and sages of our time, just as I meet with all the political leadership and, and others, uh, because you know every sector of society contributes and, and is an important part. And so it's not just Army. It's not just it, Army. Peace process is also discussed. Absolutely, and they some of them have story, and they ask a lot of questions. They want to know about things happening in the United States as well. They, you know, they have broad interest, and they, you know, uh, assimilate the information. And uh, they don't ask me to pass on any shyla, so I have no problem in discussing the issues. Um, the uh, uh, you're in Israel, and it seems that uh, as we, we sometimes get limited stories about what's happening in Gaza. Uh, often, unfortunately, when it's a big explosion or a lot of mortar attacks, then we hear about it. But when you're there, obviously, you hear a lot more details. What can you tell us about the Gaza border right now? Is there still mortar fire being shattered on Israel? Yes, this week there were two incidents, several incidents, but one in which I think altogether there were seven mortars fired. Uh, it was Hamas this time, and the IDF, the IAF, the Israel Air Force, actually responded very effectively. Uh, Israel is on higher alert along the Gaza uh, border in order to assure that there are no violations, and you have defense and other protections. Um, but you know, Gaza is going through transformations of its own, given the cutoff from by Egypt of the flow of, of money. Today, it's Israel that feeds Gaza. Right. And oil, energy, water, etc. comes from Israel, let alone the questions of medical treatment uh, that we've discussed in the past. So the situation in Gaza is, is really unclear now with the outreach that I mentioned by Gaza back to, to uh, Hamas. They don't want to be to uh, the Palestinian Authority. Hey, they never want to be left out. We know that Iran is giving them more money again which is, again, an outcome of the somewhat changed economic uh, uh, circumstances. The, um, uh, and, and, of course, the carry peace process talks mm-hmm. are always an incentive for Palestinians to, rat- to, to ratchet up the, uh, any exchanges that take place directly between the PA and Israel. One other thing I wanted to mention before we wrap up, and that is that, uh, again, we read about... Uh, uh, you know, Russian-Iranian uh, uh, business dealings. As, as long as there continues to be a good business deal, Russia will continue to do business with Iran no matter what the U.S. thinks about it, right? They'll sell anything to anybody. They're making a lot of money now on the sale of these uh, advanced missiles to, that are ending up with Hezbollah and that Israel has taken out several times. We know in May uh, they, they followed up even more advanced and more accurate radio-equipped uh, Yahoo missiles. They have a range of about 180 miles, and they fly close to the sea and uh, at a very high speed, two times the uh, speed of the uh, light. And, um, and that they do that to avoid uh, evade the radar, and they're usually armed with uh, armor-piercing or high-explosive uh, warheads. So they are getting from Russia, which is uh, you know trying to take advantage of America's absence or any any tensions between the United States and countries in the region. And these, these things could have long-term consequences. We should not think that this is immediate. Each of these issues, when you think of the refugees from Syria, uh, 8 million people, uh, more than half of them internal refugees, but many others, millions of people now in Jordan, in Syria, in, Le- in Lebanon, rather, in Egypt, in Turkey, and going around the world. And the United States is debating whether they should take in uh, uh, some group of them the the um, so, so we we also have the problem of what's going to happen to the twenty thousand jihadists 
who are in Syria today when, and, and fighting, what happens when they leave and they want to go back? And if you notice, the numbers keep going up. Yeah. And they will be targeted. Will they turn against Israel? Will they turn against other countries in the region? And what the Kurds are, are in terms of developing their own independence and broadening the the entity that exists, the Kurdish entity that exists in the, in Iran today. And each of these things, and, and what happens in God is that when they fire mortars and when Israel retaliates, and now that they will use that as an excuse to go to the international court or go against Israel to the United Nations, and that, that each of these things ratchets, ratchets up the uh, stakes that, that in the region. And, and one missile can actually hit then a civilian a kindergarten, God forbid, or or at some place where, where it have, we have multiple casualties, and that will lead again to to some explosion because Israel can't tolerate. No country uh, should be forced to, to tolerate the, these kind of incursions. Unbelievable what's going on. Well, enjoy uh, Shabbat in Jerusalem next week. You're in Jerusalem. You're back here next week. God willing, I'll be coming back overnight, so I'll be there this week. I'll be in Greece and. Cyprus to get more information for the show. Uh, I think we can. One thing that we should note is that tourism for 2013 was an all-time high, which I think is really, uh, really good information. Also, new discoveries all the time of, of things, including the, these um, garment fab, fab, uh, remnants that had trailers uh, on it. And it's been tr- checked and trained and it's checked to go back to, to what we know was a trailer used in the base of English from a snail that developed from a snail that is indigenous to this region. And, um, and you know, there are, these stories unfortunately get, uh, get knocked off the front page. But one story that I think people should look at, and that is that Mein Kampf is the biggest selling in a book in the political, et cetera, area on Amazon and other things. And there's a real resurgence of interest, and people are reading and buying it. And the question is, why? Is right. it some sort of purient interest? Is it because it reflects, you know, people are looking to it for answers, or is it just, you know, a historical interest? But the fact that there's been this big spike in the sale of Mein Kampf in America, uh, as we've seen already in Europe, should worry people. Very important message. Malcolm, enjoy Jerusalem, and thank you so much. Malcolm Holon is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Friday mornings here with the weekly update at JM in the AM. A double dose of Israel for us today, because Rabbi Yudin is also live in the Holy Land. This time each and every Friday, every Arab Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Arab Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Pasha's B'Shalach. But before I get into Pasha's B'Shalach, let me just give you, I don't want to say warmest regards, even though I'm led to believe it's getting warmer back in the States, but uh, this is really warmest regards from Beit Shemesh. Like the name itself implies, the sun is shining in Beit Shemesh. Okay, now, let's try to get to work. A little bit about the Pasha and a little bit about an update as to what's happening here. This week's parasha is such an exciting parasha. You have the culmination of Yitzias Mitzrayim, meaning that last week at the end of parasha's bow, we actually left Mitzrayim, Vayisu mi Ramses Sukosa. We traveled from Ramses to Sukos. We're on our way out. And now, seven days later, you have the miraculous deliverance 
at the Yamsuf, whereby God performed the amazing miracle of drowning the Egyptians at the same time that the Jewish people were in the Yam, in the sea, on dry land. After this, we have, in this week's parasha, the miracle of the man, the manna, that sustained the Jewish people for the 40 years of their traveling in the desert. The many uh, miracles that took place, if you tried to leave it over from one day to the next, it rotted and spoiled. Yet, when on Friday they took a double portion, it did not spoil on Friday night. It remained fresh. And in fact, according to Rabbeinu Tam, the reason for our having a special third meal, Shalosh Su'udos, or commonly known as Shalashudis, on Shabbos afternoon is in honor of the man, and the same way that women are obligated in the first two meals of Shabbos, Friday night and Shabbos day, they too are obligated because rumor has it that they too were fed by the man on Shabbos as well. After this, you have at the end of the parsha another miracle, the miracle of the victory over Amalek. The Torah tells us when Moshe's hands are up, then Vigavar Yisrael, the Jewish people victorious when his hands were down, Amalek was on top. Now, the Mishnah asks in Rosh Hashanah, the Chiyodov Shel Moshe, can Moshe's hands literally affect the victory? The Binali Itim says Moshe was looking and pointing up to the heavens, and he was saying, take a look. Astrologically, it says that Amalek is to win this war. And when they looked up, that's when they won, because this proved to the Jewish people that Ein Mazali Yisrael, don't look to astrology to find out the destiny of the Jewish people. We are above that. God and God alone determines the destiny of the Jewish people. I'd like to focus on an interesting aspect of the Shira, of the Song of Deliverance, and to do so by citing the question and answer of the Sum Derech. The Sum Derech was Reb Simcha Zisel Brody who was a ram in the yeshiva of Hebron, and he asks the following question. Every morning, including Mitzvah tomorrow morning for Shabbos, before we recite the Shemona Esrei, we recite and we say, Shira Chadosha Shibchu Geulim, a new song did those who were redeemed sing literally by the shores of the water. Now the question is, what does the term chadosha, what does the term new song contribute? Had it just said, shira, shibchu, geulim, those who were freed, sang a song, who of us would have missed the word chadosha? Interesting question, because it's something that we've been reciting, and please God will recite for many more years to come. What's the Chadosha element? So he has a very interesting um, take on this, and he suggests the following, that certainly the Jewish people knew when they were in Egypt, as the plagues were going on, wow, God is now there, and there's a process called deliverance. And so 
the Jewish people uh, throughout the plagues affected the people of Mitzrayim, but the plagues did not affect the Jewish people. Number one through number ten. Good. And they knew as well that on the way out of Egypt, they experienced incredible miracles. How so? They traveled from Ramses to Sukkos, which was approximately 120 mil. A mil, you could even say, is a um, not necessarily a mile, a little bit less than a mile, but still should have taken a rather long time. It took less than the time for bread to become chametz, to rise, less than 18 minutes. There were so many miracles. Why did they not yet say Shira when they left Egypt? What were they waiting for? And the answer is they were waiting for, wait a second, as the basically explains in his comment on Oz Yashir, they were waiting for a clarification of not just the last year in Egypt that God was with them, but what was going on in all the years prior. They spent 210 years in Egypt, and the last 85 were most horrific. Who would name their baby Miriam from the word Mar, bitter, if not to mark that unfortunately great bitterness had descended upon the Jewish people. So what happened during that period of time as well? So listen carefully. In the Shira, we describe how the Egyptians died in no less than three ways. So the Luka Uferis, they went down as lead, or Ko'oven, as stone, or Kakash, as straw. All three are mentioned in the Shira. And Rashi explains, in the name of our rabbis, that pending upon the cruelty or how perhaps even somewhat better class Egyptian, that is the way they drowned. Namely, those who were most cruel to the Jews went down as straw, because straw takes the longest for it to drown. It has to become waterlogged up and down until it finally sinks. And even a stone goes down relatively quickly, but not as quick as Opheris, which is lead. So commensurate with their behavior, the Egyptians, that's the way the Jews, the, the, the Jews saw the Egyptians drown. So a whole new perspective is emerging. Now what does that mean? We all know that at the Yamsuf, at the great moment of this miracle, so the Torah says, Vayar Yisrael es Mitzrayim meis asfas hayom. The Jewish people saw the Egyptians drown. So I would have thought until I saw this sum derech that the Jewish people were watching the Egyptians drown. Do they recognize the Egyptians? It's not necessary to recognize the Egyptians. They just see Egyptian people drowning. No, says the Medrash. No, says the Samderech. What's happening is as follows. Each one looking to their right, looking to their left, actually saw, oh, I know that Egyptian. He's the one that treated me most cruelly. And look how he is drowning. He is drowning Kakash. He looked in the head of him. He saw, I know that Egyptian. He's the one that was somewhat better. He went down like the stone. And the one to the left, who was the best of the lot, he went down like lead. Ah, so what does it mean? It showed the Jewish people that God was cognizant and aware of every 
step of the way in Egypt, not just there the last year, as if to say now he woke up to take us out, but no, he was there at every moment during the servitude. Ah, so therefore, as the Beis Halevi, we can now bring in, takes over, citing the famous Medrash that Moshe says, do you know why I'm beginning the Shira with the word us? Then, so says the Medrash, because Moshe said, I sinned with the word as. How so? At the very end of Parshas Shmos, Moshe says to God, Umay az basi el paro, from the time that I have come to Paro, things have only gotten worse. So Moshe questioned God, how could you do this? It's not fair. It's not good. So Moshe sinned with the word us. Now he realizes, listen carefully, that it's only because we underwent this servitude that now we were freed, and now we're at the sea, and now God splits the sea, and the entire world is able to see, because according to our rabbis, not just the waters of the Red Sea, the Yamsuf split, but every mother giving a baby a bath throughout the world stood there with their mouths open at that moment, because the waters, wherever they were, any and all gatherings of waters split, including that little bathtub that she was giving her child a bath in. There was such an incredible demonstration of kvod, malchus of literally honor to God, that the whole world recognized that there is a God of Israel. So Moshe is saying, wow, we are saying Shira, thank you, Hashem, for allowing us to be the vehicle of this great Kiddush Hashem. And says the Samderech, thank you, Hashem, now for giving us 2020 hindsight, giving us the idea that now we realize that He was with us at every step along the way in Mitzrayim, literally, Imo Onochi Betzora, the concept that God is with us even in our most challenging and difficult times. This is such an important personal message for each and every one of us. Who doesn't go through personal challenges in their life? Some people, unfortunately, are out of a job. Other people have health issues. Other people are looking for greater personal fulfillment and looking for a shidduch. I don't have to tell you, tzorchei amenu merubin. The needs of our people are manifold. And a person who's going through whatever it is that their uh, issue that's challenging them is, so a person at that time might mistakenly say, I'm in this alone, and it's so hard to be in it alone. Comes this week's parsha of the Shira and tells us, Vayomru Leimor. This is not just a song which was sung at the Red Sea, but this is a song for all generations. This is a lesson for all generations, that as the stone, the lead, the straw, teaches a lesson that God was with the Jewish people in Mitzrayim, that he noticed everything, and he was clearly aware of it all, because it all led up to salvation for our people, so to individually understand you are not going through your difficult time alone, 
but he is capital W with you at this time. I want to end on a positive note, not that this message isn't positive, but even on a more practical one, finding myself here in Eretz Yisrael. There's no question about it, that coming home to Eretz Yisrael, you feel, you sense that you are living that which the prophets told us. And I have to tell you that Baruch Hashem, this past year, Sharei Tzedek Hospital in Yerushalayim, delivered over 20,000 babies in this year, past year of 2013. Now listen carefully. Not only is this the largest number of any Israeli hospital in a single year, but it's almost unmatched in any other hospital in the world. Bli Ayin Hara Kane Yerbu. And it also has, as a satellite branch, it took over the Bikr Holem Hospital, which annually has another approximately 6,000 babies a year. Bali Ayin Hara, the Navi promised us that Od Yeshvu Yerushalayim, that there will be young children playing in Jerusalem. And that is such a positive way for us to go into Shabbos. And just be aware that we shouldn't need it, but that Warren Buffett donated $10 million to the Rambam Hospital in Haifa, who's building the world's largest underground hospital. And Mitzvah Hashem, we're not going to need it. But just to know that on the one hand, we have such incredible thanksgiving and emunah to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who has brought us to this time, who has brought us to this day, and emir Hashem, halavai, vaita, the Jewish people are going to become stronger and better in its land. Shabbat Shalom to all. J.M. and the A.M. Friday morning, my thanks to Rabbi Yudin, live from Israel with an incredible overview of Parsha's Bishalach for us on this Erev Shabbos Shira. Candle lighting at 428 on this Erev Shabbos. 428. Reminder, 20 minutes from now, Naomi Nachman is going to be on our stream at jmnam.org with another edition of Table for Two, this time live from Cedarhurst with our friends at Hod Golan and Abels and Hyman and Jay Booksbaum of Kedem. She's going to be there with great giveaways and a whole host of uh, wonderful guests coming up between 9 a.m. and 10.30 Eastern Time on our stream at jmnam.org. And you'll be able to watch everything. If you go to nachomsegel.com, you'll be able to watch the show beginning at 9 o'clock on our stream, just go to, or I should say on our website, just go to NahumSiegel.com. You'll be able to watch all the proceedings between 9 a.m. and 10.30. Special guests in our studio this morning here at JM in the AM. He has the distinction of being the 5774 Concert Chairman for a Time for Music 27. Miles Berger visits us this morning here at JM in the AM. A pleasure to welcome you to these airwaves. Thank you, Nachum. It's great to be here. First time you are in the JM and the AM headquarters. That's true. That's true. <laughs> and beautiful here and beautiful downtown Jersey City. I'm happy to be here. I appreciate that. You're accompanied this morning by my old friend, Rabbi Sam Klibanoff, who is the rabbi at Congregation Eitz Chaim in Livingston, New Jersey. Rabbi Klibanoff, nice to welcome you here to Jersey City. Thank you so much. Great to be here. I appreciate that. And uh, how's he doing? Is he doing all right there in Livingston, New Jersey? He is doing excellently. All right. So the he, shul is progressing nicely. We are very happy to have have Rabbi Klibanoff and his wife and the whole mishpacha. Baruch Hashem. Are you ready 
for Sunday night? We are ready, 100% ready. There may be a couple of tickets still out there and sponsorships, so people who uh, want to come to the concert should. Today's their probably their last day to get tickets. Right, so essentially, make that essentially this thing is sold out like 10 days ago, but there's like 100 seats left that are, as you know, in the sponsorship level uh, area of Lincoln Center. And if someone wants to give a nice contribution, you're ready to make sure they're there on Sunday night. That's right, and I'm happy to say I got one here this morning on the way by text. A friend of ours from uh, Eitz Chaim has donated $1,800 for a sponsorship. Very level. nice. We should have waited till tomorrow night. We would have gotten 3600 though. No? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, folks. Just kidding. A little fundraising strategy there. <laughs> anyway, so Baruch Hashem, if anybody still wants to go today, if they're able to do it, uh, they could find the ticket. Just become a sponsor and make sure that this uh, concert on Sunday night is a success. When was the last time, and I'm not trying to set you up, I don't know the answer, when was the last time you were up at Camp Hask? Was it uh, over the last year or two? When was the last visit? Uh, two, up years. There? two years. Two years ago? Two years. So what are your impressions when you walk in there on a beautiful summer day? Well, it's overwhelming uh, seeing uh, the, the, ca- the campers and how the counselors who are all basically volunteer interact with them. It uh, really takes your heart away and it, it makes you realize how important of an, in, an organization Hask really is. And you know, you're a concert chairman at a unique time because, and we discussed this a few times over the last few weeks, uh, everyone thinks that, you know, the camp has gotten so big and the facility is enormous, thank God, compared to what it used to be, that, you know, things are settling down, so to speak, for a while. There are plans and a necessity in our community to expand Hask even further. Yes. Well, I mean, Rab- this is a big crossroads you're yeah. at now. Rabbi Stern and... Uh, Rabbi Khan, the camp director, are continually planning and expanding the camp programs and facilities. And they have big plans. I mean, they'd like to see the ability to invite more campers to come, you know, and for longer sessions. And uh, they are filling a major need in our community. Miles Berger is here on Sunday night. He is going to be chairing the the, uh, Time for Music number 27. He'll be uh, chairing this concert again, this time in celebration of Camp Asks. 40th anniversary. What is your message? Not to give everything away, because there'll be a couple of thousand people there Sunday night. We don't want them to sit there having heard the message already, but give us something. What is part of what you're going to say on Sunday night to the big crowd? Well, part of my message is really a big thank you to the directors, division heads, uh, counselors, and uh, medical staff. We have a tremendous medical team that's there at Hask in the summertime. A big thank you to them for all that they do for all the work that they put in to make Hask really what it is. Simple as that. They are Simple the, as you, that. You appreciate the middle management, the people yeah, who are doing all the hands-on work. Absolutely. Simple as that is right. Phone number, by the way, if you want to get last-minute concert information, is 718-686-5931. You can also go to the website at hasconcert.com. And Miles Berger, it's obvious from what you did this morning that if someone wants to be in touch with you directly, at this point you'll handle the last-minute ticket sales. I will. <laughs> no question about that. Um, so it's an exciting night. The big question... Question is because you're chairing this event that always seems to, in some way, surprise uh, members of the audience. Uh, are you privy to any of the information that we don't have? In other words, we know that Avram Fried and Benny Freeman and the whole list of people right. that you have in front of you are going to be there on Sunday night. Are you privy to any of the surprises that seem to make Hask an annual uh, a landmark event? Well, I think, uh, as we know, Hask this annual concert is the is the premier. Jewish concert in New York City of the year. No question. It's been that way for... Some would argue the world at this yeah, point. perhaps, right. for 20 years or so. Right. Uh, and I think we might have some here, a new release or two 
from one of the artists, whether it be the Diaspora Yeshiva Band or A.B. Rottenberg. I think we're in for a big surprise. So there may be new songs, but may, in terms yeah. of who may surprise us or shock us by showing up or any of the other surprises that the producers put together over the years, that you, you would not know at this point, or you're being very reserved well, about if, sharing that e- information. Even if I know, I can't tell you. <laughs> I don't want to ruin the surprise. You'd think the concert chairman would have a dispensation, that you'd be able to do whatever you want, you'd think, at this point. Well, we want to keep it a surprise. <laughs> so it doesn't work that way, huh? All right, Miles Berger reminds everybody, especially if you're a ticket holder already, to be there 7.30 on Sunday night. You don't want to miss the opening. You want to make sure to be in your seat on time. Correct. And to enjoy the concert uh, on Sunday night, he will address the crowd, of course, at that time and uh, continue to pay tribute to the amazing people, the staff, counselors, and those who really make Hask an incredible experience for so many of the uh, consumers and their families. And we should mention a word to the families. You've probably, have, I, I bet as chairman, you've heard this a million times over the last couple of years from parents and family members who are indebted to the camp for what they do each summer for their kids. Yes, they're, they're very grateful. And, and you see that too. You see that in the audience. You see that in the large lobby of the Avery Fisher Hall when we walk in. Uh, the parents uh, with children, some of them nebuch in, in wheelchairs. And you can just see the glow on the face of the children and the glow on the face of the parents, how happy they are to be there and how happy they are that there is such an organization as HASC that they can rely on. Yeah, and they'd have no respite during the summer that they so well deserve and so much need, if not for the the staff at HASC. All right, everybody, you are, it's very simple. I know it's Friday morning, and everyone thinks this is really last minute, but the only tickets that do remain are those at the sponsorship level. And Miles Berger took a special trip here this morning to make sure that every ticket in the arena is sold. Because every time there's uh, more money coming in, it means they can do more for the uh, campers up at Camp Hask. It's as simple as that. That's right. And you want to see this be as great a success as possible. We are praying for it. Uh, 718-686-5931 or com for information. Rabbi Klibanoff, anything you want to add on this topic? Are you... Uh well, Are you I'm a Hask fan? Are oh, you, absolutely. You're and, a big uh, time for music aficionado? Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Thinking back to the uh, live Shlomo Karbach. Oh, dances. gosh. I have him on the double cassette tapes. Now, <laughs> gosh, now, now we're going way back in the annals of history. My gosh, cassettes. And when Karbach was on the Hask stage, there have been some great moments even since then. But I have to agree with you that what, that one was extra special, to say the least. Um, well, best regards to everybody in Livingston and continued success over there at Eight Chaim. Thank you so much. Miles Berger, anything you want to add in terms well, of something? Ju- I want to thank you for bringing me on here today. Pleasure. For helping to promote this concert. And we look forward to seeing everyone Sunday morning, a Sunday, Sunday afternoon, night. Sunday night. Uh, please get online, buy those sponsorship tickets. We'd love to 100% sell out. And you won't be you won't be sorry that you're there. And if you text Miles Berger right now, he'll he'll make sure to give you a special. I don't want someone to think about getting a special deal here. He'll make sure to give you a special deal, folks. Do what that other uh, friend of his did this morning. Make sure to reserve a sponsorship level ticket right now. He'll do good by you, as they say in the community. That's right. And I'll make sure you're very very happy. Uh, we look forward to seeing you Sunday. And Yashikach to you for again taking on this role. Thank you. Miles Berger is the uh, chairman of the uh, Time for Music number twenty seven celebrating the 40th anniversary of the Hask Summer Program. It all happens at Lincoln Center this coming Sunday night. My thanks to him. My thanks to Rabbi Sam Klibanoff visiting us this morning right here at JM in the AM. More coming up. It's Erev Shabbos Shira with candle lighting at 428. Keep it right here at JM in the AM. Ladies and gentlemen, A.B. Rottenberg.
I was very, very pleased to receive an invitation to participate tonight. It's a momentous occasion when two legends of Jewish music grace the stage together. And I made sure to, uh, to say that if I did come, that I'd get a chance to sing with them. So ladies and gentlemen, join me in welcoming, welcoming Mordechai Ben David and Avram Fried back to the stage. Hosagin Mishle says, Kabed es Hashem mehoincha. Honor Hashem with your wealth, with your money. But Chazal understand these words of Shlaim HaMelech to mean much more than giving tzedakah. They darshin mehoincha to mean measher chonancha Hashem. Whatever talents Hashem has bestowed upon you, use those talents to honor Him. These two performers are living examples of this Chazal. They've been blessed with wonderful voices, of course, but it's what they've chosen to do for HaKadosh Baruch Hu with that gift that sets them apart. Musically, their careers have covered an astonishing range of styles. Contemporary Hasidic, Sephardic, English, Yiddish, and Ivrit, and of course, traditional Hasidic. They have been the instrument through which we have learned some of the most beautiful Hasidic nigunim of, of great Rebbes. Here is one unforgettable example. So many wonderful composers. Rebaruch Chait, Yossi Green, Mona Rosenblum, just to mention a few. They are also wonderful composers in their own right and possess a great feel for which material to showcase on their albums. Who can forget this rousing niggin of Rebaruch Chait that helped to make Avram Fried a household name? Oh, <laughs> 
J.M. in the A.M. I don't know what else A.B. Rottenberg has planned for Sunday night, but he's had some amazing tributes and just great uh, and amazing um, uh, pieces, original pieces that he's put together, including a tribute like this one, and that included some phenomenal Erev Shabbos selections, Prok and Kelo Doz from Mordechai Ben David and Avremo Avram Fried. And we look forward to seeing what A.B. puts together for this uh, coming Sunday night. By the way... I got a communique from Mark Zamek, our music director, that today's Erev Shabbos mix will include brand-new Benny Friedman. Remember, Benny's got the brand-new CD, a Shabbos with Benny Friedman. It'll include the brand-new Yaakov Shweki and plenty of Beshalach songs, which I assume means some Az Yashirs and other appropriate music for Parshas Beshalach, all part of our Erev Shabbos music stream starting at uh, 10.30 this morning all the way until candlelighting time at JM and the AM. Org. Naomi Nachman is live in Cedarhurst at Gourmet Glot with our friends from Abel's and Hyman and Hod Golan and Jay Booksbaum of Kedem. It's all happening starting at 9 o'clock, just five minutes from now, on our stream at jmnam.org. And, of course, you can watch the whole thing at NahumSiegel.com. You will see the video live on the homepage of my website. I recommend you check that out five minutes from now. Time to say good Shabbos. It's Journeys at JM in the AM.
Shabbos Cause all your work is done Gonna spend the day together with the Holy One Say a special blessing on a cup that's filled with wine Brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world on the web, jmdm.org. What an amazing morning we had this morning. Thanks to Malcolm Holmline for another great edition of the weekly update. And thank you to Rabbi Yudin for checking in with us from the Holy Land. My thanks to Miles Berger and Rabbi Klibanoff who were here. We'll see Miles Sunday night as he chairs the 27th annual Time for Music event. And uh, my thanks to uh, Professor Chaim Sukenik. It was great to have him here in studio. I mentioned that he is my first cousin, and he is the uh, president of the Jerusalem College of Technology, and they are doing some amazing work and have opened their programs to the American students. If you missed any of our conversation, you can check it out online in our archive section, and you could catch him. Uh, tonight and tomorrow in Teaneck, New Jersey, and Manhattan on Sunday uh, during this mini tour of his. Uh, Naomi Nachman is next. Make sure to watch it at NachumSiegel.com and to listen in at JMNAM.org. Naomi is next from Gourmet Glot with Table for Two. Have a fabulous Shabbos, wonderful weekend. Till Monday, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember to pass, live the present, and trust the future.